Dr. Fabio Costa is a physicist currently conducting research at the University of Queensland, where he studies causal relations in quantum physics. Fabio and his student, Germain Tobar, recently made headlines after publishing a paper that shows mathematically that paradox-free time travel may be possible. Fabio also has published a string of papers on the nature of causation and shows how our intuitions as human beings about the nature of causation may only paint the picture of a much simplified reality, while the true nature of reality is much more complex. Fabio Costa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, normally when we think about uh, time travel, we think if we were to travel back in time, say to fix something that went wrong to stop World War II or something like that, by doing that, we would also be erasing the motivation to go back and do it. So in, in that sense, uh, we see a paradox, and it seems like an impossibility. But uh, are you saying there may be such a thing as paradox-free time travel? Yes, well, uh, first of all, there are uh, um, a few different models of time travels that have been proposed. So the one we have been uh, studying is uh, a single-universe model. So the idea is that... Uh, um, if you try to go back in time, you don't somehow create an, an alternate reality. And uh, uh, the implication is that uh, events that already happened that cannot uh, unhappen. They cannot, uh, history cannot change. So if we know that uh, World War II has started and it happened, uh, it means that nobody went back in time uh, to prevent it. Otherwise, oh, yeah. um, otherwise World War II would not have happened. So in uh, another, another, uh, Words, uh, the way we think about time travel is not something that will happen. Uh, uh, so if we want to think about time travels to our past, this is not an event in our future, is an event uh, necessarily in our past. So uh, by necessity, it has to be consistent. So in other words, uh, we know that nobody has traveled to uh, to stop World War II. That, yeah. that type of uh, time travel did not happen. Yeah. Okay. Uh but do, uh, so what would paradox-free time travel be then? Well, uh, the point is that the fact that we didn't see uh, time travel so far doesn't mean uh, it will not be possible in the future. So one of the open possibilities is that uh, uh, time travel, that uh, in the future it might be possible to build something like a time machine and then time travel will be possible back to the time when the time machine uh, has been uh, built. And so in that case, uh, we will, from that point on, uh, then we will witness uh, time travel. And so we will uh, see uh, travelers coming back from the future and performing action, uh, doing things. And then we will uh, uh, also witness later on uh, uh, those travelers uh, starting their journeys. So uh, in that case, uh, um, we will experience uh, a set of events, a set of actions, a set of choices. And again, um, the idea is that uh, everything should be consistent. So uh, the specific of our discovery is that um, we came up with a model where uh, uh, we can uh, we can model the free choices of uh, of time travelers. So because uh, for for sure one can uh, can think of a consistent story where there is time travel. But the question, is it possible to allow uh, travelers to perform actions? Because one thing is to say the story is just one story that is fixed and there is nothing that um, that can be modified. Another is to allow time travelers to uh, choose uh, 
uh, actions along the way. So that's uh, somehow much more difficult because uh, one would think that uh, if you allow travelers to perform arbitrary actions, then uh, you would uh, uh, eventually run into some kind of logical contradiction. So our discovery was that actually uh, it is possible to have models of time travel where uh, you have a freedom of action and yet you don't run into any contradiction. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so why was that uh, hidden? Why, why was the math involved with that hidden until you, you discovered it recently? Well, uh, the main difference is that uh, previous study the, um, mostly focused on the uh, on a description of uh, time travel that sort of uh, uh, aligns with the traditional description of physics. The traditional description of physics uh, is one where uh, one tries to uh, think of the universe as evolving into time steps. And so the typical question is, uh, if I know or if I fix the state of the universe at a certain time, can I predict what the universe will be at the later time? So uh, physicists typically try to write uh, physical laws in these terms that uh, you uh, a physical law is something that given the universe at some time, it tells you what is the universe at a later time. And so uh, this becomes very difficult in the uh, context of time travel because uh, it's not really clear how to start, how to set the initial time. So in previous studies, uh, uh, really the, the whole approach was uh, to, to consider uh, some initial uh, condition uh, before any time travel is possible, and then uh, that's the only thing you can fix. So the idea of uh, uh, choosing arbitrary actions along the way was not really uh, considering those models. Um, and so, so really the, uh, the key difference was not much, um, in some new types of mathematics, but really it's uh, some new approach, uh, to the whole, uh, uh, to the whole question, to the whole, um, uh, topic of time travel. And so once, uh, we, we model this new, uh, this new approach to time travel, then we came up with the mathematical formalism and, and that allowed us, uh, to, uh, to, to find uh, the solutions. Yeah, and is uh, is your solution one that will be accepted by the physics community generally, or will there be a lot of uh, kickback? Um, well, maybe it's worth saying that uh, time travel is uh, is not the most uh, common topic, so uh, yeah. there are not a whole lot of people that uh, that work on it, and uh, and there are already uh, quite a few different uh, ideas about time travel, and so. I think the the community kind of expects that there can be more uh, uh, more possibility, more options. Uh, I think uh, I don't think there will be any question about the validity of the result. I think it's uh, uh, relatively sound. We have already uh, two articles that use the same type of formalism, and uh, I think the uh, the math is solid enough. It's been uh, uh, validated by independent uh, reviewers. Um, uh, the approach uh, is a little unusual, and so I think uh, uh, there will not be much uh, kickback, but maybe there will be a bit of resistance in uh, um, embracing this new perspective because the idea of, uh, of physics being about uh, time evolution is very deeply ingrained. This idea of uh, fixing condition and trying to find uh, uh, the state of the universe at a later time. Uh, there has been... Uh, um, different type of uh, streams of work that have uh, considered different ways to formulate physics. So this uh, uh, is not an entirely new um, 
an entirely new perspective, but, um, but yeah, so I expect it might take a while, um, before, uh, more people try to engage, uh, with this approach in the context of time travel. Yeah. Uh, and so if the nature of causality is, uh, not as straightforward as sort of classical Newtonian physics that we see in our everyday life, uh, what are the practical applications of that? Well, um, we don't expect to be able to uh, uh, to build a time machine anytime soon. Uh, so the, the conditions to do that will be uh, really outside uh, present-day technology. And in fact, we don't even know if that is physically possible. So our result is about mathematical uh, consistency. But there are still a, a lot of questions about whether... Um, uh, physics actually allows that. So uh, what it looks like is that uh, one will need some uh, uh, some very exotic type of matter um, that is that we don't know if, if it exists in our universe. Um, there are, however, some interesting consequences uh, uh, that are not directly uh, related to to time travel, and that's more uh, uh, with the aspect of uh, um, combining the notion of causality with quantum theory. And so there are two main uh, directions that uh, this research goes. One is uh, uh, in terms of fundamental um, understanding of nature. So it is actually um, quite broadly believed that uh, when one tries to combine quantum physics with gravity, with the um, Einstein's theory of gravity, one needs to in some way uh, rewrite um, our basic ideas of causality. And the reason for that is that uh, um, Einstein's theory of gravity is really a theory about space-time that describes space-time as a, as some um, some uh, some geometry, and uh, um, and this geometry uh, uh, can become so one one aspect of this geometry is a, a causal relation, what comes before and what comes after, and so it's expected that if one uh, makes that quantum, then uh, the, the idea of coming before and after uh, has to change, and so our work on uh, on causality. Uh, one of the consequences is to provide a new approach to uh, to study the foundations of quantum gravity, which we hope eventually will lead to a better unified understanding of the uh, foundations of physics. Um, the other uh, direction that is uh, uh, maybe even more surprising is that uh, once we started to study uh, these new approaches to causality, we realized that even uh, in ordinary situations that have nothing to do with gravity or time travel, uh, so situations that one can uh, actually set up in a laboratory in the present days, uh, one can build causal relations that uh, um, uh, we say are not definite. So usually we, we imagine that when you have two events, it's either uh, one A before B or B before A. And uh, using the laws of quantum physics, it's possible to set up things that uh, um, cannot be really interpreted that, that way. And what we discovered is that uh, um, these new type of causal relations can actually provide some technological advancement. So they can uh, make uh, uh, computers more powerful. So this is a, a relatively unexpected connection between very um, foundational and exotic topics to something that is, in fact, quite practical and might have a, a technological implications. That's awesome. Uh, and about how far off do you think it would be before uh, binary computers were replaced by quantum computing? Well, uh, it, that's hard to say. There has been a, a, a very strong, uh, um, a very fast uh, 
um, advancements in really in the last few years. So the idea of quantum computers uh, is already a couple of decades, uh, two or three decades uh, old at the moment. But uh, but there has been a, a very strong push um, in the last years. So um, if it was a few years ago, I would I would have said no more than no no less than twenty thirty years. Now it looks like. Uh, um, Quantum computers might be available sooner, but but there are in fact still uh, some very very big uh, technological challenges that uh, uh, is not entirely clear if, uh, if they will be um, uh, overcome. So it's quite possible that uh, uh, come uh, uh, 10, 15 years there will be uh, practical quantum devices that will uh, uh, perform uh, tasks that uh, or will enhance uh, other type of technology. I think a, a full, fully functioning quantum computer uh, in the way that has been uh, uh, theorized might not actually become available uh, um, still for uh, for quite a long time. But but uh, um, I, I think experience says that uh, this type of uh, technological uh, advancements uh, often lead to um, uh, to new technologies, to, to new applications that uh, are not necessarily those that were uh, um, imagined at the beginning. So yes, I think uh, in, uh, in some 10, 15 years, or, uh, or maybe even less, maybe even in some five years, we might already have some functioning device that will do something useful, and 10, 15 years, uh, we'll say it's, it's very likely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and what does this, uh, this these... Uh, this uh, sort of complexity of uh, causality, what does that mean about free will? Well, um, yeah, so it's interesting because uh, part of uh, our research uh, is phrased in terms of free choice. However, um, uh, I think we should distinguish uh, what we mean by free choice in mathematical terms in the, in some philosophical uh, notion of free will. So what we mean by free choice specifically is the possibility to, uh, to set up, uh, um, uh, to have a model where one can uh, have actions that are uh, free variables so, so that we can uh, say we have a, a situation and we can calculate what happens if uh, someone does A, and we can calculate what happens if someone does B. Uh, that doesn't uh, um, uh, necessarily imply that there is or there isn't free will. And uh, and I will say the the question of free will is is uh, um, the way I see it is probably not very well uh, defined uh, um, scientifically. In the sense, it's not entirely clear uh, what one uh, would really like free will to be. In the sense, the typical debate uh, are our actions predetermined or not. Yeah. Um, but again, predetermined is uh, is all a question of uh, uh, how you set up uh, your free variables. So if you say that uh, uh, um, something predetermined means that uh, if you fix some condition, that implies what will happen later, but you can also always read things the other way around. So I think for practical purposes, uh, um, free will is an important component of uh, our understanding of life, that we are uh, effectively uh, responsible for our actions. But I think that uh, that doesn't imply any uh, fundamental difference in the way we approach physics. So in particular, it doesn't mean that our brain or our our behavior somehow follows some uh, physical laws that are different from the physical laws of uh, any other biological or physical system. I think uh, um, 
I think these two ideas are compatible. It's just a, a different uh, uh, level at which we uh, we, are, we are looking at things. Yeah. Uh, and so do quantum physicists tend to be uh, so-called militant atheists as writers like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris encourage, or do the finer details of science, such as uh, the complexities of causation, lead some good physicists to see the world in what might be called a spiritual manner? Yeah, well, uh, there are uh, physicists of all kinds of uh, denominations. I guess uh, uh, on average they tend to be more... Uh, um, Agnostic or atheist and the, the general public, but uh, but I know a lot of uh, physicists that uh, uh, are Muslims or Christians or uh, Hindu or or Buddhist um, or Hebrew. There are uh, all all kind of uh, options there, so there isn't uh, really um, a very strong uh, um, requirement. Uh, let's say that for doing science, you need to adhere to a certain type of uh, philosophical or have some philosophical or religious inclination. Um, so I guess, uh, physicists that work in fundamental science that uh, think about interpretation of quantum physics, about the foundations of causality, possibly, although I cannot really, uh, uh say for sure, but I think possibly they have a bit more, uh, uh spiritual approach and spiritual, uh, in a very broad sense, in the sense of trying to understand not only what the math is, but also what it, it means for us, uh, what is our uh, um, uh, our place. Uh, and um, but I think uh, uh, in most cases this doesn't translate into a religious commitment. It's more like uh, trying to have a broader picture of uh, nature and reality. Yeah, like an like an open-mindedness in a way. Yes, although again, I don't think open-mindedness means uh, uh, questioning uh, um, uh, questioning science as such. So, uh, if open-mindedness means uh, uh, questioning uh, uh, the result of the theorem, I think that's that's not really where it's going. Typically, yeah. um, there will be. Um, I think most physicists are um, say questioning the, the the meaning of things and not not much the truth that uh, that comes out of uh, of scientific uh, uh, research. Uh, and do you believe there's still room for breakthroughs in physics to be carried out by people who have no special access to expensive equipment? Like, uh, say, when Einstein was making his discoveries, he pretty much seemed to do it in his head. Can you still do that sort of thing now? Yes. So, so certainly, um, for the type of research, for example, I am doing, or that most theoretical physicists are doing, uh, there is still a lot of uh, of room for improvement from theoretical physics. Um, now, it's, um, it's, this doesn't mean that we can do physics in general without expensive equipment. Uh, so uh, the progress of physics um, the last century, at least, it's very strongly, where or, or actually really um, all process, process of, of physics, progress of physics, uh, goes in parallel with the theoretical advancements and technological advancements. Yeah. Um, this means that... Uh, that uh, you can have people that uh, are engaged in uh, pure theory, but doesn't mean that they're not influenced by what they see, um, but by the technological advancements they see. Um, I think it's not really possible to um, have uh, uh, developments uh, without a very strong and, uh, and very consistent training. So Einstein uh, was uh, was mostly a theoretician, but was uh, deeply influenced by 
all the um, all the knowledge that had been acquired in the previous century uh, coming from uh, uh, from much um, uh, technological development, uh, in particular from uh, the fields of thermodynamics and the fields of uh, uh, electromagnetism. These were all fields that were very strongly driven by um, by technological advancements. Yeah. Um, and also maybe the thing to mention about Einstein is that uh, he was not uh, uh, this lonely uh, self-taught physicist. He was uh, very well embedded in the physics community. He just happened to be uh, working in a patent office when he wrote those uh, uh, very famous papers, but uh, he was certainly not a completely lone writer. He was uh, was very well embedded in the community, had a very solid training, was someone that was uh, really going through the whole academic and, and community process of becoming a physicist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you are employed as a physicist at a university, are you able to choose which questions you'll focus on finding solutions to? Uh, yes, most of the time, yes. So uh, I've been lucky enough to uh, to choose uh, the topics I, I work on. So this obviously depends a lot uh, on the routes uh, someone takes. If someone ends up being embedded in a, in a larger research group, sometimes... Uh, the research direction will be uh, set by uh, by some group leader or, or by someone else, um, and uh, and also uh, this is all conditional in uh, uh, in renewing uh, one's position and one's funding, which is all a bit uh, um, uncertain. So so far, I've been able to essentially to uh, to research um, the topics I like, uh, but it's always um, a question of how long one will be able to do it because. Uh, uh, one has to uh, renew uh, employment and find new findings every few years. So that's um, certainly um, something that is not uh, for granted. Yeah. So you you still need to uh, convince somebody to what give you a grant or or does it yes. does the money just yes. come from? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you were growing up, did you see yourself being a physicist or? Um, not necessarily a physicist, but I was certainly interested in science uh, since uh, a quite early age. I was interested in biology, chemistry, and uh, uh, many different things. I I became uh, specifically interested in physics towards the end of uh, of high school. But yes, I've always been curious about uh, about scientific questions, the universe, and uh, and everything. Yeah. Uh- can you recommend some books uh, for, say, pe- people who are at that age that you were at uh, when you first started to really get into physics? Can you recommend some books that would uh, help them understand quantum physics a little? So, um, well, one book that was very influential for me, although it's not so much about uh, quantum physics, but physics more in general, was a, uh, it's actually a very old one. It's uh, Einstein and Infeld, uh, The Evolution of Physics. This is... Uh, uh, really, some, a book that uh, goes through the historical development of physics with a strong uh, accent, uh, a strong emphasis on um, Einstein's uh, um, breakthroughs on relativities and general relativity. It also has a good part on quantum physics, although that one is a bit outdated. Um, I haven't, uh, in those years, I haven't read a, a lot of, uh, uh, of things about quantum physics, I must say. Um, and yeah, I don't know a lot of popular science books. One uh, by a, a very prominent Australian uh, uh, author is uh, uh, 
quantum technologies by Gerard Milburn. Gerard Milburn is one of the main uh, uh, Australian quantum scientists. And uh, so that book is, uh, uh, is more focused on applications of uh, quantum physics to modern technology, but it also has a, uh, a good introductory section about uh, the foundations of quantum physics, about the, the theory itself. So that's, uh, I think that's a good uh, place to start. Yeah. Okay. Um, and any advice for, uh, say, undergrad students who are studying physics? Uh, physics? Well, if uh, if one is interested in uh, in an academic career and in, uh, in doing research, then uh, uh, I think uh, uh, certainly something to try to do is to de- be proactive uh, in uh, looking for opportunities. So, looking for a summer project, a winter project, or a, a master abroad, or a, or a, some sh- short uh, program abroad. Uh, any anything that uh, adds up to your uh, standard curriculum. So the uh, the thing is that the the three four years uh, uh, of um, of undergraduate physics is is really a very small introduction to the whole subject and uh, and just going through the homeworks is probably not enough to uh, to start a research career. It's certainly a, a good start. Right? So, so certainly uh, being a thorough in in the studies is uh, is necessary, but uh, but it's typically not sufficient. And uh, typically the, uh, one needs um, uh, a lot of uh, try to cultivate um, their own interest in uh, in looking for topics in reading outside the the prescribed material and again looking for as many options as possible to get in touch with the um, with the scientific community. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. That I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.